Thank you so much, UCM Band. You may be seated. It's my privilege to call up Samuel Druin this morning. Samuel leads the University Christian Ministries at VIU campus, and uh, he and his wife Christina have done a wonderful job there. And uh, Samuel's spoken here a couple times over the years, and we love his heart, and we love uh, the kind of resonance. Uh, our church loves to get out in the community and serve and lift up the name of Jesus that way. And uh, Samuel and the UCM group has done that on the VIU campus. They love and serve. And as a result, they've gained a lot of credibility with the administration and the faculty there. And so we're just thrilled to have them this morning. Let's give Samuel a warm Ocean View welcome. Samuel, let me uh, pray for you as we start out here. Lord God, thank you for our brother who uh, serves you so faithfully week in, week out. And Lord, thank you for the passion that you've given him to see university students uh, both come to know you and, and grow in their faith and ultimately become leaders as they graduate and move on to uh, other things. And Lord, thank you that uh, he has a passion to see people lift up your name in all kinds of different uh, avenues of marketplace ministry, whether that's being a, a teacher or a musician or an artist or a doctor or whatever it is, Lord. Uh, and I thank you for the seeds that are planted at UCM. Lord, give him grace and freedom as he speaks to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Darren. It's great to be with Ocean View. I sometimes mistakenly say Ocean Side for Ocean View, and then I call Ocean Side Ocean View. Um, so, but I'm glad to be at Ocean View. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys and to share about what God's doing. It's good to know that there are strong churches that pray for you, Sam, that are mission-oriented. And Pastor Dan was sharing a little bit about what you guys are doing right now with uh, sponsoring a, a refugee family and are looking into this. And then with Youth Alpha, his wife runs home and has already the lunch ready on, on the crock pot. And anyhow, that's amazing what you guys are doing. And loving this next generation and we know that young people are growing up and growing in the church Nathan is doing a great job with them and then they go to university and the statistics are very sad that 75 percent of them walk away from God in those those few years of university right when they get given that freedom to continue to go to church or there's no more parents pushing them to go or encourage them to go and then they walk away from God but we want to turn that statistic around and say we want young people that have grown up in the church to continue serving Jesus and people that have not grown up in the church to come and know Jesus through a ministry like UCM at VIU. And it's been amazing to see how God has blessed this ministry. And we know it's because of people like you that pray faithfully for this ministry. I remember last, last week we had our AGM, annual general meeting we call, and we elected the student leaders for next year. And we were talking and, and asking people to come and share some of the most impactful moments that they've had in UCM. And it reminded me of one, my most impactful moment in UCM was in my first year, a few months in, and I was sharing, a, I was preaching a message, and the power went out everywhere on campus at once. There was a big storm, and the power went out, and I was wondering, do you keep preaching or do you stop preaching? I've never been taught this in Bible school. <laughs> and I just decided to keep preaching, and my wife said afterwards, the message was okay, but after the power went out, it was really good. And I was like, is it because you couldn't see me anymore? <laughs> <laughs> and we kept, I kept going and the power went on and you know like there's a, there's a battery on the projector so the screen goes blue for a bit so it doesn't burn out the light bulb and 
Then they emerged, the exit signs like this, the batteries were dying, it had been about an hour and a half, two hours. And there was no light anywhere on campus. But we used, uh, you know those, those big lights, construction lights, 1500 watts light? We used those so we don't, because um, in a classroom, we meet in a, a classroom, a double classroom where we take a divider off in the middle. And we meet there and we have taken this, taken the divider and the light acts so we don't have to keep all the fluorescent light. There's kind of ambiance light a little bit, you know, like, um, it's a little nicer than to be blinding sun right on, right on top of your face the whole time. And that light stayed on the whole time. There was no power anywhere. This was plugged in the wall. It draws 1,500 watts, and that light never turned off the whole night. It was the only light on campus. It was darkness everywhere. The residents had to use candles and little flashlights or phone flashlight to find their way around, and they were trying to make it through the night. But UCM was the only light on campus. And to me, it was just a miracle of what God was preparing and what God was ready to do on this campus, that UCM was going to be the light that shines in darkness at VIU. And it was just amazing. We shared the same parking lot with the, the student, the, uh, what is it called? Not the bar, but what do they call it? The pub, they call it the pub. We, and, and the pub, a lot of time when UCM ends and the students from the pub come out, but that night the pubs was emptied where before UCM was emptied and people kept worshiping Jesus. When everyone else left the campus, Jesus was still being worshiped on that campus. And what an amazing story it was for me to see that. And we know that God is working on this campus, not because I'm an amazing pastor, not because the worship team is, is amazing. They are really good and hopefully I'm not too bad, but we know that that's not why. The reason why God is working on this camp is because we are battling this battle on our knees. And we know that the victory is won in prayer. So thank you so much, Ocean View, for praying for us and seeing God transform this campus. Every week, there's, uh, we've averaged over 85 students that meet and worship God on a secular campus. And it's amazing to see what God is doing. And I'm excited to share with you and bless you. Our prayer is that you guys have been such an amazing blessing to you, Sam. We hope that this morning you're blessed with the worship team and with the message. And if you, and we'd love for you to pray for us. If you're not receiving the newsletter, come see me at the end of the, ma- of the service uh, with Christian between the two services. Come see us. Sign up for the newsletter. We send a picture of what God is doing, a, a sentence or two, and a prayer request. And we'd love to partner with you. Together today, we are shaping tomorrow, and we're excited about what God has in store for us tomorrow. So let's dive into God's Word this morning. Um, I'd love to introduce this message with a, a little story. Krishna and I got married um, almost six years ago in May. May is in how long now? Like three months. We had a son. He just turned a year old a few, uh, last week. There he is, Joseph. Being a father is amazing. But when we first got married, I didn't know if we were going to be able to keep a human being alive. And so we thought, how about we have a pet? The stakes are a lot lower if we can't keep it alive. <laughs> and so we thought we could have a dog. And that was interesting. We, we really thought about this. Then we thought we could have a cat. We did not spend a lot of time thinking about that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry for cat people. <laughs> come here, little cat. <laughs> don't come here. And then they cuddle you. It's like, I don't Anyhow, so we thought, no cat. And then the dog, we thought that would be good, but we, were, we just got married. We were pretty poor, and we thought, if we have a pet, that pet needs to pay rent somehow. And we just couldn't see, like in South Korea, they do that to dogs, but we just couldn't see that, how we would do that to dogs here. And, but we thought, 
what animal can we have as a pet that would pay rent and without chicken? Because you see, they give us eggs and we eat eggs. We don't, anyhow. Um, we eat the eggs and we love eggs. So we got chickens. And from the beginning, it was important for us that they were going to be free-range chicken. It was amazing that they could go and eat whatever they wanted and do whatever they wanted. But with freedom comes danger. With freedom comes fear of what can happen. You know, like freedom is dangerous. And then for, for an, a chicken, the cost of freedom comes when an eagle comes or a cat or a quick, a fast car. And one day we lost a chicken. I came home and Christina was outside trying to find a chicken. She said, I lost a chicken. Oh, no. So I went inside. I looked on the camera. We have cameras outside and I see the chicken walking away on the driveway. And right behind the chicken, there's a cat praying. Not like praying, but like praying. <laughs> or maybe cats are a lot more spiritual than I ever thought. And, and he, was, <laughs> he was praying before his meal. And then the chicken walks out of the frame and I can't see him anymore. And I was meeting with some students, so I go to my meeting. I say, honey, I'm going to go to the meeting, and then we'll keep looking for the chicken. And so I went to some student meetings, and I connected with them. And, and then I got back, and I go outside, and Kristen and I recruited her mom to try to find that chicken. They had been looking for that chicken for three hours, and they couldn't find the chicken. Chicken was gone. So I go to Kristen, and I say, honey, it's okay. Come inside now. We lost the chicken. And she started crying. She says, no, we need to find the chicken. And I said, honey, it's okay. It's a $15 chicken. And she hit me in the stomach. <laughs> and she says, it's not funny. I was, I'm not, I was not trying to make a joke on sale now, but, but I say, it's a bad investment. Three hours for $15. We could have gotten lots of chickens. But she wanted to keep searching for the chicken, and she kept looking for the chicken, and she said, I found some remains. Oh, no. And the end of the driveway. And so we walk to the end of the driveway. And we're looking at those remains. <sighs> Three little turds. I, that chicken, that cat scared the crap out of that chicken. <laughs> so we knew that that chicken had been at the end of the driveway because I saw the cameras. And we went to the neighbor's house, and we looked everywhere. Couldn't find the chicken. We finally go inside the house, and we say, that's okay. We lost the chicken. At least we didn't lose our, lose our child. We go inside the house, and then um, an hour or so later, Krishna's mom decides to go in. Krishna takes her mom outside, and she opens the back door, and you'll never believe what was right there in front of the back door. The chicken. Alive. We took the chicken inside the chicken coop, and it was amazing. We, that's, the, that's how we did not lose a chicken. The title of the message this morning is, You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised what God can do with a broken life. You'll be surprised what God can do with your past. You'll be surprised this morning what you thought was too much, that God couldn't work with it, that God couldn't work with you, that, that you were so broken that God could not use you. This morning, you'll be surprised what God can do. Let's read together from the book of Exodus. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. Book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll read to verse 13. And I love reading the Bible. I believe that there is power in the Word of God. 
And so I love reading. Let's read this together. Verse 1. Moses answered, and, and we're picking up here, if you're not familiar with the story. Moses was a prince in Egypt. He killed an Egyptian, had to flee because he was afraid for his own life, hid in the desert. And he's been in the desert now for 40 years. He believed when he was young that God called him to save his people, the Israelites, out of slavery from Egypt. But now it's been 40 years, and he believes that God forgot about him. And one day he's shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, and, and he sees a burning bush that is not burning, and he approaches it, and God calls him from the burnished bush and reminds him of his calling that he has put on his life. But Moses starts arguing with God that he's the wrong person, that God must have made a mistake because he's not the man he used to be, and he doesn't think that he can do what God can do. And so here's Moses trying to argue himself out of his calling. Verse 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said, What is it in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the, the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back in your cloak, God said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it out, pour it out on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave men his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, verse 13, O oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Because you see, Moses had an opportunity when he was younger to save his people, but he blew it. And I believe that there are people here this morning that you think because of your previous mistakes that you blew it. That God has abandoned his call on your life and you think that God will never use you for anything significant because of mistakes you've done in your past. But I want to tell you this morning, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised of what God can do because as imperfect as you are, with the little you have, God wants to use you today for his kingdom. The enemy has a very simple strategy. His strategy has been the same for thousands of years, and it won't change today. He wants you to believe that you are not normal, that you've messed up, and that your life is ruined. But you're about to be surprised of what God can do. Here is, here is the all-in of what we'll go through this morning. You'll be surprised of what God can do with the little you have. You'll be surprised what God can do with your past. And lastly, we'll look at how you'll be surprised of what God can do with your insecurities. When I was 12 years old, I was scared of two things. Boys will relate, girls may struggle, but I'll try to do my best to explain what the first thing I was scared of. And I'm, it happened to me once, and I, I was so scared it was going to happen to me again. I, we were at gym, and I had to go pee, so I went on the side of the woods, and it was windy. 
And I got all wet. That became the biggest fear of my life. The second, things I, the second thing I was afraid of was my mother. And if you would have met her, you'd know what I'm talking about. We went to Six Flags, and we waited in line for 45 minutes for one of our favorite rides, the bumper cars. We got in the bumper cars, and we had a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Afterwards, we were walking and talking about who hit who how many times, and who bumped who harder than who. And, and then my brother looks at me and says, Samuel, where's your jacket? Crap, my brand new jacket. I left it in the bumper car. Oh, no, mom's going to kill me. I said, oh, man, I better find this jacket back, or I think I would rather, I'd rather pee against the wind than face my mom. <laughs> and so I run, I run to the bumper car, the little area, and the, little, the guy that's letting people in, I say, hey, I left my jacket. Did someone bring a jacket back? And he says, no, sorry, nobody brought a jacket back. And I said, can I, can I go in between the next two rounds to look in the bumper cars to see if my jacket is there? Maybe it's still down there. I put it on the ground maybe or beside me on the seat. And so I'm going, and I'm looking through all the bumper cars and running quick and my heart is beating so fast and I look down and oh my gosh I found something there's a chicken (laughs) (laughs) just kidding no chicken but I keep looking around for my jacket and I can't find my jacket is gone and I said mom's gonna kill me and my brother looks at me and says yeah (laughs) but my father had compassion on me and he says, Samuel, here's what we'll do. When we get back home, we'll drop, our, we'll drop your siblings at home. And then we'll go to a store and you, we'll get you a new jacket. But you have to pay with it with your own money. I was like, I'll pay double. Doesn't matter. I'll give you a tip. I'll give, I, I'll, I'll. And so we go to the store and we're looking for the jacket. And, and I'm a medium. And we're looking and they only have large, 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 large. And then a small. And that's not going to work either. And then we keep looking. My dad says, I found a medium. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God still exists. And so I grabbed this, this jacket. And we go to the counter. And I was 12 years old, right? So this is a few years ago before cell phones and, and all that thing was actually a, a thing. And the phone at the store rings. And the lady picks up. And she looks at me. She says, are you Samuel? Oh, gosh. I was like, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I pick up the phone. Hi, Mom. Where are you? I think you know where I am. (laughs) You're the one that called me here. What are you doing? Honestly, I don't know anymore. (laughs) Oh, I didn't buy the jacket. I learned that day that what is lost is gone. But sometimes we try to hold on to what we lost so hard, so tightly. Moses used to be a prince in Egypt. But now... Now you see, he had lost everything. And some of you, you're stuck in the past like this, that you tried to relive. If only I wouldn't have put that jacket beside me. If only I would have kept it on me. If only I wouldn't have been there. If only I wouldn't have done this. But you know, God doesn't care so much about what you would have done, what you would have had if you would have done something differently. Because God is not interested in the if well or what could have happened. God is interested in you today. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, What is in your hand, Moses? A staff, Moses replied. God doesn't ask Moses, what was in your hand back when you were a prince in Egypt? No, God looks at Moses and says, what is in your hand right now, today? 
And I can only imagine Moses replying to God, well, you know, I used to be a prince in Egypt. Back then, I had a scepter made of gold and precious stones. Everywhere I went in the land, people obeyed the scepter. People bowed down to the scepter. It was a sign of my authority, and people obeyed me. But now, now all I have is a simple carved staff. Even sheep don't respect it. But this simple, ordinary staff is all Moses had. He had lost everything. And some of you, you think that God can't use you because you have so little. A CBC poll poll came out a few weeks ago saying that 46% of Canadians are $200 close or less away from insolvency. People have nothing. Some of you, you can't manage life anymore. There is too much Too many needs and too little to go around. But remember, Moses freed an entire nation from slavery with nothing else in his hand but a staff. Don't underestimate the little you have this morning, but be wise with the little you have because God can transform it for his glory. God this morning isn't interested in what you would have done if you would have had more. God is interested in what you have right now. He is interested in you today. Because the little you have, the pain you have today, God can use it to bring the greatest transformation you have ever experienced in your life. You'll be surprised at what God can do. Things change and people change. God doesn't change, but things change. When Chris and I first got married, we were poor. I guess that didn't change. But <laughs> and we were young and that changed a little. I remember we had what we called cheap dates. We actually had two kinds of dates, cheap dates and free dates. And one of our favorite cheap dates was to go and rent a $1 movie from a red box machine. Anybody else remembers those? And, um, and then we would go to 7-Eleven and we would splurge. $5 pizza? Come on. $3 samosas? Bring them on. You know, like uh, fill me a bag with it. And, and it was like a $12 date and we would eat this deliciously salty block of salt. I felt like a cow. It was so, but who cared? We were young. We were free. We were strong, invincible. We ate like pigs and then went to bed like nothing ever happened. Slept like babies. Now, I eat three Doritos after 8 p.m. and I can't sleep all night. I'm turning because it's too salty. Things change. God remains the same, but people and things change. Moses used to be a prince in Egypt. He used to be powerful. He used to have silky, smooth hands just like mine because he had never done anything his whole life with his hands. But now he had rough hands of a farmer. Things change, and they were about to continue to change. God says in verse 6, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous. It had become white as snow. And God is asking you this morning, why are you still trying to do this on your own? What is it going to take for you to give it to me? You see, Moses had lost everything. Like some of you, you've lost everything. But yet for so long, you're still trying to manage life on your own without him. Everything in your life is falling apart, but you're hanging on to that little bit, that little thing with all the strength you have. You're keeping this so tight in your hand. God says, I have something better for you. Let it go. But you say, God, this is all I have left. I can't lose this too. I have to hold on to it tightly. So God tells Moses, your hand that you've relied on for so long, the only thing you have left 
God says, take it. Would you do this with me this morning? Would you take your hand like this? And this hand represents the little you have. This hand represents all of your human strength, all of your human abilities that you've relied on for so long. This hand is what you've been holding back from giving God for so long. What you're afraid of giving God because you're afraid of what will happen if God has even that little bit. Take this hand and put it in your cloak. And now take it back. Moses looked at his hand and it's diseased. It's dying. You know why it's dead? Because for something better to come alive, it first has to die. You see, before the tree blossoms in the spring, it has to lose all of its leaves in the fall. Before Jesus could experience the resurrection, before we could experience the power of the resurrection, Jesus first had to die. I know it hurts. The Christian life hurts. It's hard. But trust God because he is about to work a miracle in your life. You'll be surprised of what God can do. Verse 7, we continue reading. Now put your hand back in your cloak. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And if you look into the Hebrew here, the word cloak literally means heart. And when we receive Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in our heart. And what's the furthest point of our body from our heart? It's our hands. And we're holding these things far. We say, God, I give you everything, but I'm just holding on to this as strong as I can. And God says, you bring it to me. And Moses brought it to Jesus, brought it to God. He brought his hand of mistakes. He brought his hand of hurt, of fears, of insecurities, of lies that he's believed for so long, and God made it clean. You see, some of you, you've trusted yourself to accomplish God's plan in your life, and it's never worked, and it's not going to start working now. But bring it to God this morning. Bring it to God. And God says, I don't use the powerful. I use the willing that humbled himself and made himself available today. God isn't concerned about what's hiding in your past. He already knows what's there. Bring it to God. Give God all of your past, all that you've been holding on, and say, God, surprise me this morning. Surprise me. Because you'll be surprised what God can do with your insecurities. Christina, I have a lot of stories about Christina and I. We met at Bible school, and then I went back to do my master's in uh, Laval University in Quebec, and she was doing her teaching degree here at VIU. So we did long distance for two years. And um, God bless the new era of Skype and Google Talk. We thought more about Skype and Google Talk than anything else. I remember it would be like, um, you'd say something, and then, oh, sorry, you cut out. Can you say that again? Can you repeat it? Oh, sorry, I missed the beginning. Can you say that again? Oh, this is stupid. Now I'm done. Oh, why are you saying I'm stupid? No, I didn't say you're stupid. This, this internet thing is retarded. Why are you calling me retarded? I'm like, no, this is, I shouldn't have used, I'm sorry. Of what? Okay, I'm done. Why, why are you done? This is not the end. You can't leave like this. I'm going to bed. This is, this is ridiculous. Don't call me ridiculous. And I just had to end it. And then text her goodnight. And she said, why are you mad at me? I'm not mad at you. This is this is annoying and but every once in a while it would work very well and so we would watch funny videos and and tv shows and we would be like okay one two three wait is your mouse on the play button because you gotta be ready we're gonna watch this together right one two three play and then she'll laugh two seconds before me and i'd be like honey you ruined the joke for me you're two seconds ahead of me just pause quick 
And then press play again, and then we get in sync, and then we would watch these funny things up all the way to like 2, 3 in the morning, and I was three hours ahead, right? So it was only 11 midnight here for her, but I was having a good time, and I lived in the residence at the University of Laval, and one morning at 2.30, my neighbor comes, and he, start, he knocks on my door. So I go, and I answer, and he says, hey, Ben, and he says, hey, is it possible for you to laugh a little quieter? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, I laugh quietly. And so I go back and I'm like, hey, hon, I, wake up, I woke up the neighbor. I got to laugh quietly. So I'm watching this with a pillow and laughing my pillow. <laughs> I like, almost feel like I'm having a panic attack trying not to laugh. And the more I'm trying not to laugh, the more I'm laughing. But anyhow, it was a good time. In the morning, though, I still felt bad about waking the neighbor up. And so I said, I'm going to go apologize. His name was Benjamin. I, I go to Ben and I knock on his door and say, hey, Ben, I'm so sorry for waking you up yesterday. And he says, oh, no, no worries. You didn't wake me up. I'm like, well, it sure looked different at 2.30 in the morning when you were knocking on my door. Oh, he says, yeah, that, I did. So what happened is the guy next door came and knocked on my door. And he's like, hey, can you laugh quietly, please? And I'm like, I was sleeping. I don't know why he came and told me that. And then as I was trying to fall back to sleep, I heard you laugh. And I said, that was me. That was him. So I went and I told you to laugh quietly. And that's when I realized I was waking up the guy two doors down the hallway because I was laughing so hard. So I looked at him and I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I became very insecure about my laugh at that moment. And I said, I will never laugh again in my life. Ever. That's what you call an exaggeration. I was exaggerating. It was not meant to be taken literally. And this next verse is also not meant to be taken literally, but it often is taken literally, and it leads to a lot of misunderstanding about who Moses is. And in the most misunderstood verse, this one ranks pretty high. But let's read it together. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Why would Moses say this? Because Moses was actually a great public speaker. He knew both the Hebrew and the, the Egyptian language very well. He, he did indeed do a massive amount of public speaking in the reminder of the Pentateuch narrative and the law. And yet, nowhere did he reveal the slightest speech hesitancy or inability to make himself understood. Why then would he make the claim to be slow of speech and tongue? And it's called exaggerated humility. You see, it's similar to when my wife asked me, Samuel, can you please do the dishes? Oh, honey, I have never been good at doing the dishes. Not before we were married, not since we got married. What I'm really trying to say is not that I'm bad at doing the dishes. What I'm really trying to say is I don't want to do the dishes. I'm trying to get out of it. Exaggerated. Humility, it's called. And there are other examples of exaggerated humility in the Bible. Saul, for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, claimed to be, of, uh, to be obscure in origin when he was, in fact, from a very prominent family in Israel. David claimed to be a nobody in 1 Samuel chapter 18 when, in fact, he was already celebrated as a popular war hero. Paul claimed to be the lowest of low among God's people in Ephesians and 1 Timothy when in fact he was already a very, probably the most influential Christian at the time. Moses was a great public speaker. 
But you see what it is, is that it had been such a long time that Moses had become insecure about his ability. He wasn't sure he could do it anymore. He was old now. So God told him. So he told God, verse 13, and he makes himself very clear in that verse. He's not trying to beat around the bush anymore. He says, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. And there's someone here this morning, you've become so insecure about your abilities that you can't imagine God will ever use you for anything significant anymore. But this morning, you have a choice. You can either tell God, God, I want to let my insecurities continue to guide me. Or you can say, God, take my hand of insecurities and I bring it to you. Make, heal it again, Lord. I'm letting these insecurities die. And Moses took his hand of insecurities and he said, okay, God, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand. I'm afraid, but I'll go where you lead me. And this is what I want to tell God this morning. I tell God, God, you take my hand of insecurities. You take my hand of past mistake. You take my hand of so little that I have. And God, you come and surprise me. And so God took what Moses was believed to be so insignificant to perform a great miracle, to perform the impossible. Verse 17, and I end with this. Take this staff in your hand, God says. So you can perform the signs with it. I love what God says, but I love almost more what God doesn't say. He doesn't look at Moses and says, go back to Egypt, find that scepter that you used to have, and then you'll be able to do great things. He doesn't say, take your voice, take your past failures, take the hopes that you used to have, take the dreams that you had as a little boy that you forgot, take your past mistakes, take your sickness. No, he doesn't say any of this. He says, take this rod, take this staff, take the shepherd's staff, that you might not be ashamed of where you came from, but honor that this is where God called you from. Perhaps your staff is your unfinished diploma or degree, your inexperience, your mental illness, your poor athletic abilities, your family history, your physical appearance, your age, whatever it is that you are ashamed of or insecure about this morning. God tells you, don't let this disqualify you, but let me surprise you of what I can do with what you think is so little. And so Moses grabbed his staff, and he headed for Egypt. And this morning, I want to encourage you to tell God, take my hand of doubt, God, this morning. Take my hand of insecurities and fears that have kept me away from my Egypt. And God, come and surprise me. I'll invite Chris to come and do the pastoral prayer. Good morning, everyone. Today's pastoral prayer is an adaptation of 12th century Welsh prayer from the Book of Taliesin. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Today we come before you in prayer with our hearts full. We just want to thank you for what you are doing through Samuel and the student leadership of University Christian Ministries on the Vancouver Island campus. You have called them to love and serve the students that make up the VIU student body. And it is having a profound effect. We ask that you would pour out your blessing, show the UCM group your favor with the faculty, the administration, and with the dead students on campus. We pray against our enemy, the devil, who would seek to stir up opposition and trouble for the UCM group. Most of all, we pray that in their worship every week and their service at the VIU campus, that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted high. 
as the old Welsh prayer reminds us so beautifully. Son of the Godhead, Son of the manhood, one wonderful Son. Son of God, a fortress, 